Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. When we were new Christians, we gave our hearts to the Lord on the 20th of January. So in this month, it was 1974, it will be 49 years that we've been serving Jesus together as a couple and in ministry, uh, it will be 40 years in March. But um, when we were new believers, I worked in cells in Cape Town, and uh, there, there was a couple in our church who were very successful in business. Their names are, because I'm still in touch with them, Brian and Sandy O'Donnell. Now, they owned this market in Cape Town, they called it the hippie market, Uh, but they owned this establishment where people used to rent space and they ran their own businesses. And this was a place that was in revival for Jesus. I mean, the people were just getting saved in the coffee shop. And anyway, so one day Sandy said to me, "Uh, I'd like to offer you a job. Would you like to work uh, in my store? I've got high-end jewelry and I've got uh, clothing and uh, will, will you come on board? And I was really blessed, and I did that, and it was wonderful because I used to travel far to where I worked previously, and this was just really down the road for us. Uh, I took the job, and I worked there. In the meantime, Pastor Andre was studying to be a lithographer that is in printing, and he now qualified, but on the side, he was making leather goods, shoes, bags, belts, you name it, and there was a demand for his stuff, and he did this to supplement our income, and Sandy actually bought most of the stuff that he made and sold and used to fly out of the shop by God's grace, and one day I noticed there was some building happening uh, in this establishment, and I just inquired about it, and I just said, what's happening there, and Sandy said, oh, well, Brian, uh, is building another stall, another space, another store uh, for someone to run their business in it. Well, I, you know, I didn't think about it again. Then one day Brian came to me and he said, I want to talk to you, Vilma. That space that I've built, I didn't want to tell you, but God told Sandy and I to build it for you and Andre. Now, you must bear in mind, I was quite important in the business because I was now running the store in the afternoons and I, would, I was taught to become a buyer, something I'd never seen myself doing, like buying stock, buying jewelry, buying dresses and blouses and all of that stuff. So I was really enjoying my job, but they saw more in me. And so I was to go home, share it with Andre, and uh, we had never actually thought about running our own store, our own business. We weren't thinking along those lines, but we were gobsmacked, and it was just too good an offer to turn down. And so we accepted the offer, and Redemption Leather was birthed in 1976. It still exists today. Uh, it was bought by a chap we knew. He was a young policeman. And he bought it, moved it into the Wellington area, and he's now a tourist uh, attraction in Wellington. But I'm sharing this with you, and I'm going to get to my point, but I also just want to add, Pastor Andre asked me after the first service, just to add a little bit more detail about what that did for us. 
it, it, it caused us to do extremely well for the time. Um, we were able to purchase a house. Um, we lived better. We were the only two people in our whole entire family that ever owned our own house. We had good cars. <laughs> Uh, not the flash that you see, but good cars, and, um, and, and our boys were well looked after, and, you know, we just lived a different kind of life because of this couple. Why am I sharing this with you? Because I believe it's wonderful when people see potential in you that you don't see within yourself. It's wonderful when people are generous towards you. When there's kindness flowing from their hearts, you know, the reason they did this for us was also because they said, you two, there's something on your lives, and, you know, you're not going to actually do this forever. Well, that was the truth, wasn't it? But it set us up for the ministry, and they saw our work ethic. They saw how we dedicated ourselves to God. They saw us in church. He was an elder. And, and so it's just wonderful when people pave the way for you. They open a door for you, and they enable you to do something that you never dreamed of, that you never thought was possible. That's how God is with us. God sees so much more in us. You know, we downplay ourselves. Oh, me or oh my, I could never do this. Well, we were a little like that too, but we've learned through the years that there's so much more in us that God wants to unearth in us. Amen? And um, it, it's wonderful when, you know, when people give you a break. It, it just shows the heart of God. Amen? And so that is why I wanted to start this year with a message to encourage us that God is for us. God is for us. God is for you. He's not against you. Amen? Well, perhaps people here today are saying, well, you know, during this terrible time, if God is for me, why did I lose my loved one? Well, the reality is people do die. And it doesn't mean God has forsaken you or that he's left you and that he's now against you. God is against me, so my loved one die. It's not like that. The fact is that if they aren't Christ, Jesus went to prepare a place for them. That's how for us he is. He goes to prepare a place for us, amen? Plus, the secret things belong to the Lord. If you need to read this, it's in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. It, it's the secret things. We can, you know, some people that I've met, they, they get strong after a death, after mourning, pretty quickly because they get strength from God and they take it from God and they get stronger. And then they rest their hearts in peace that their family members, their loved ones are with Jesus, and that's where we're all going to be going, amen? But other people mourn for the rest of their lives, and that is so tragic, amen? Um, and, and one has to question that as to how they embrace their relationship with God. Maybe you're saying, well, if God is for me, but why did such bad things happen to me? I was retrenched. I was betrayed. My husband committed adultery. People stole from me. People hacked me. Uh, all these horrible things happened to me, and my business closed down during COVID. It was the worst time of my life. Well, God is still for you. God is still for you. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises are yes and amen. He is still who he says that he is. And you are still who he says that you are. Amen? And Jesus warned us. He said these words. 
Um, and I just want to say, before I say these words, be careful of teaching. Everyone's surfing the, you know, YouTube and all of that. Be careful of teaching that teaches you that nothing should ever go wrong in your life. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Amen? You know, you can't blame the devil for everything that goes wrong in your life. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes we're the devil. We make silly choices. And, and you know what? We can make a silly choice. Then you have to live with the consequences. Amen? And then we cannot blame the Lord about this. But let's read why God is saying he is for us. And we're going to look at Romans a lot of Today is going to be in Romans chapter 8. So let's read from verse 31 to 32. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Why does Paul say, what shall we say about such wonderful things? He says that because I'm going to touch a little later on the different things that he spoke about in chapter 8. So he comes to a little bit of a conclusion. Um, and he says many things because Romans 8 speaks about our freedom in Christ. It speaks about our future glory. It speaks about many, many things. Um, and he's saying these things to assure us uh, of our safety and our security in Christ Jesus. And, and as I said, I will touch on some of those things. But the thing is, we struggle with these verses. God is for you. Who can ever be against you? Yes, but, you know, I did that thing, you know. I'm so ashamed of myself. This thing that I did that I would hate for Pastor Andre to know about. Well, just relax, amen? There is a struggle going on. We all know this. God is for me then why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? What has happened to my peace, amen? And God knows me. I think he loves those people over there so much more, those perfect people. Perfect people don't exist, by the way. There's no, we are not perfect by any, by any means. Surely not me, yes, you. I love what Max Lucado wrote. He said, if God has a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and sunrise every morning. But now I want to also get you to take heart. Okay, give, give the Lord a hand if you Get it out of the system. I want you to take heart because the man who wrote Romans 8 also wrote Romans 7. Don't forget who this man was. He was perfect in his own eyes. and he's, I really believe he's speaking from the perspective of being a Pharisee of Pharisees, remember? And he was self-righteous. He was right in his own eyes. The Gentiles were the worst. Christians were the one that he was going to persecute, and he was going to do a lot of bad things in the name of God. How weird is that? So just take heart. He's speaking 
from a place where he's identifying with our weaknesses, that he's saying, even though I've been known to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, not in Romans 8, does he say that? He says it somewhere else. But just remember, he's saying, I've learned about forgiveness, and I've learned about grace, and I want you to take heart uh, from Romans chapter 7, reading a couple of verses there. This is him. I do not understand what I do. Sounds like me. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil uh, I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. He's not talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about moments of failure. Okay, he's not, this is not an excuse now. Let it all hang out. I'll carry on my affair with this married man, and I'll, you know, still be, you know, pilfering money from the company, and I'll be lying to people, and I'll be doing all the things as Christians. Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's assuming you know what to do, right? We don't, it's not an excuse for that. He's just showing us that he has challenges as even a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he also fails. Well, I don't know about you. On any given day, I get into my car, I get in, and I say to the Lord as I leave, Lord Jesus, today I'm going to be good on the road. Meanwhile, I am good on the road. I don't stop at stop streets, and I stop at red traffic lights. But I'm not going to freak out, and I'm not going to like, get upset with people and say, you idiot, what do you think you're doing? But what I want to do, I don't do. And then I hear myself, my car is a place of confession. <laughs> I hear myself say, sorry, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm, that's got to stop now, okay? You've got to start acting on what it is that you want to do. So maybe you can identify with me. You know, he did terrible things, as I said. He persecuted Christians. And so, you know what? The first generation of believers were under his authority of badness, of, you know, throwing them in prison. And, I mean, just, just bear in mind, where Stephen was uh, stoned to, to death, Stephen was stoned to death, basically under the shadow of the cross, very close to where Jesus was crucified, is where Stephen was stoned to death, and smug Paul was in the background, um, probably giving high fives in those days. I don't know if they did that, but that's how bad he was. Amen. But now I just want to quickly bring a balance. You know, let me qualify what Paul says about the sinful nature, because it's not going to be an excuse for any of us to do the thing that we know that we shouldn't do. Amen. Romans 8:12 says, "Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation." But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
So one thing Paul knew was in spite of his weaknesses, he, was, he had no obligation to his sinful nature, but he knew God was for him. He knew that if he repented, he knew if he lost his cool or whatever it is that was bugging him at the time, he knew that if he went to the Lord, God would forgive him and he would know that God is for him. So I want to look at six proofs that God is for us. Six proofs, and I've got to go quick. Proof number one, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ. Verses one and two, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What Paul is saying is we've been made free of judgment and condemnation. The enemy is the accuser. The enemy is the one who would constantly come back at us and say, remember that day when you did that? Remember when you said that? And he taunts us and he torments us. We need to learn to say no. I'm a new creation in Christ. I, I, I'm not receiving that. Can you imagine when Paul, who actually murdered people, right, was zapped on the road to Damascus. Can you imagine this encounter that he had with God? And now he's an apostle and he's written most of the New Testament or a lot of it. If the enemy must have come to him at many occasions and said, oh, you want to build this church and you want to, you know, the church and you're writing to the church here and there in Ephesus in, in the, to the Galatians. And, but do you remember who you are? You killed people. I'm sure as the enemy came to remind him, he in turn reminded himself that he was forgiven, that he was under grace, that he is a new creation. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us when someone becomes a Christian, he, is, he becomes brand, a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Have you ever walked past a store, and uh, I think it happened quite a bit during COVID when stores closed down or whatever, uh, or they closed down for a period of time, um, but you would walk past and you see under new management. Under new management means maybe it's still the same store, but it's not the same as what it was. We might as well put in Christ a sign in front of our chest saying, under new management. Enemy, stop booking with me because I've been made clean. I've been forgiven. God has shown me his mercy. He's for me. He's not against me. And if our hearts condemn us, God is bigger than our hearts. Amen. Number two, he adopted us because he wanted us. Verse 15 to 16, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are God's children. Amen? It's a beautiful term, Abba. It's a, it's a Hebrew term, Abba. Um, and it's an endearing term. It's an intimate term. 
And we don't have a fear of running into the presence of God. We've got access to the Father. We can go into his presence and we are accepted because of the blood of Jesus. We have become the sons and daughters of the living God. He adopted us. It, adopted us. it is a beautiful thing. You know, we have neighbors who live across the road from us. She's uh, Israeli, a young couple, and uh, they've got twin boys. And the boys and their dad often um, play, you know, in the road with uh, their, their remote control cars or they're on their little scooters. And you just, what you hear all the time is, Abba, 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 Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I watched them and we went walking the other evening and they were in the, in the street playing again. And, you know, Mommy, they love too. But Mommy in, probably is cooking or doing something. But Abba, Abba, Abba is outside fooling around with them. And I look at the relationship that they have with Gideon, our neighbor, and I think that's us. We have that. That's what, that's what God is saying to us. I'm Abba to you. I'm your daddy. I'm there for the good. I'm there for the bad. When you fall and you hurt your knee, I'm there. I'm your dad. You have access to me. Abba, daddy. Amen. That's proof to me that God is for us. Proof number three, he makes all things work together for our good. Verse 28, and we know that God causes everything, not certain things, a few things, everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Surely, if God is for us, then the difficulties that we struggle with will be used for good in the end. It will work for good in the end. Amen? Now, I was once young. I now am a granny, a grandmother of four. Five, actually. One is with Jesus. And I've come a long way. As I said, 49 years on the 20. Uh, 20th of January, but looking back, I can only say to you, speaking as someone much older and with experience, that God, I've never felt God abandoned me, left me, and I've never felt God is against me, no matter what has happened, and that things have always worked for good in the end, even if it took years for me to grasp and to understand, and I've learned that nothing is wasted in our lives, amen? He turns it all for his glory. He turns it all for his glory. You know, God is known to prepare a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Isn't it true? Psalm 23. That whole psalm tells me how for us God is. He is for us. We are sheep. We are stupid. Look at sheep and learn from them. Jesus is our shepherd and he guides us. Amen. He causes us to, to lie down in, you know, next to running water, in tall grass or whatever. A cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I mean, all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house either here on earth or there with, with God in all eternity. Amen. I want to talk quickly about Joseph and Mordecai. Two great examples of how God worked things together for the good of those two lives. Firstly, we know Joseph, his brothers were mean, threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave. He went to prison, falsely accused. Long story short, he could interpret dreams. Pharaoh, Pharaoh called him out 
And then he went from, well, let's look at it like this. He went from the pit to the prison to the palace. And years later, when there's a famine, he's in charge of the food. His brothers come. They have to speak to him. They don't recognize him. Eventually, he says to them, uh, I'm your brother. And then there's weeping and there's remorse. And he says, hold on. Listen to this. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Mordecai. Mordecai was a relative of Queen Esther. They were Jews, and they were in Babylon. They were in exile, but this is what was happening. It's the most amazing story if you go to Esther and read it. Mordecai had an enemy, Haman, in the court of the king who hated him and hated Jews. So what he did was he built a 72-foot gallows to hang Mordecai on. And the tables turned and now Mordecai is being exalted because it, it's found out that he actually saved the king from an assassination attempt. And now Mordecai is being elevated by the king. Haman, in the meantime, is found out for wanting to kill Mordecai and all the Jews in all the provinces. And God, uh, the, the king, sorry, I'm trying to go as fast as I can. The king then says, oh, Haman, you have to die. You have to be killed. You have to be executed. Someone says, well, you know, by Haman's house, there's a 72-foot gallows that he built for Mordecai. And the king said, hang him on it. The very thing that was meant for Mordecai turned out to be used for Haman, the enemy of God, basically. And Mordecai was then taken into the position of Haman, was given the house of Haman, and given the land of Haman. And I just want to say, whatever happens, God will work it for our good. Amen? He is for us. Proof number four. Nothing can separate us from God's love. From verse 35, can anything ever separate us from God's love, Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep, speaking of his ministry, Paul's ministry. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is invincible because he is eternal. He's infinite. He is unchangeable. And we cannot be separated by finite, weak, and changeable forces from his divine affection because God is love. God's love is not like ours, up and down. One day Pastor Andre says something, I feel, do I even love him? <laughs> of course I do. Of course I love him. But our emotions get in the way. But God is the same. He does not change. Amen? 
Nothing can separate us from God. Okay. I'm going to go fast. Number five, he makes us more than conquerors. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors, I mean, through him who loved us. It's because God gives us the strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Two of the books that my husband's written, and it's not a plug for him you to go and buy it. I'm just saying, if you have it, pick it up again. If you want to buy it, by all means, do it. They're great books. They've helped me. Successive breakthroughs and find a way to win. Finding a way to win. Because that is what God wants for us. He wants us to constantly be winning in our thinking. Amen? In our faith. Yeah, we need to be conquered, not be conquered. Amen? I want to just touch quickly on temptation because... There are people who say, the temptation that I faced, I don't think anybody on the earth faced. Well, Jesus faced every possible temptation, so there you have number one. But here it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You're not alone, baby. And we're talking beyond just having sexual encounters. We're talking about a whole lot of stuff here. Corruption, lies, just being untruthful, just not living you know, by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. But there's the escape. I've got a verse for your escape. James 4 verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Before I read further, let's just stop there. Submit you know, you are under temptation. Oh, geez, you know what? I've got to pay that account off. And you know what? This money, can I just borrow it and then put it back next month or whatever? No, 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 no. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? Would he be happy with us? I don't think so. Submit yourselves then to God. That's the first thing. Bring God into the situation. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I learned early in my Christian walk just to say, I rebuke you. I rebuke this in Jesus' name. I rebuke this temptation in Jesus' name. And Lord God, please help me that I don't fall into this temptation. God will enable us, amen, because he's for us. Proof number six. The cross is proof that God is for us. You know, God's, God says he loved the world. Why? We're terrible, you know, compared to him. We're not like him. He is perfect in all of his ways. And we're dreadful if you come to think about it. You know, we've fallen. Um, but he wanted to reconcile us back to himself. That is the heart of God, to reconcile us back to himself. He wants us. He wants us. He loves us. Amen? You know, when man sinned, a great chasm was created between God and man, a big divide. It's almost like if you can picture the earth at this massive earthquake, and then there's this massive gap, and God's on the one side, and we are on the other side, and we cannot get to him. Although man through the ages, right up till today, and probably right up until the end of time, people try and build a bridge across this chasm with good works. I'm a good person. I give money to the beggar on the corner of the road, and you list all the things that you do that you believe makes you probably even better than other people. It doesn't work. 
that our good works is not going to get us across to where God is. Amen? That chasm can only be crossed with Jesus in the middle. Amen? The cross is what we need. The cross, the sacrifice of Jesus. Then it's more like we can't really get there, but God comes to us. Amen? So, just a wonderful thing. God used Jesus as the great exchange. There was an exchange that took place. The perfect son of God wasn't supposed to be persecuted. He wasn't supposed to hang on a cross, to be whipped, to have a crown of thorns on his head, spat upon, rejected. That, do we, we had communion this morning. Can we just remember what Jesus suffered on the cross for us? That's the great exchange. And we just walk away scot-free. We did what we like all these years until we saw Jesus for who he is, accepted him, and all what we're supposed to pay for, the penalty has already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Amen. You know, the cross is the unspeakable, indescribable proof that God is for us. And I want to end off with the same verses that I started with. Verses 31 to 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He will give us all good things. Things that are for our good. Amen? And David knew this, and I want, I want to just share as well. Psalm 103 to me is a lot similar to Romans 8. Psalm 103 is my favorite psalm. But if you know it, the word is my favorite book. So everything's my favorite, but I love Psalm 103. And it just says it so well for me today and to you. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Remember the proofs that I read to you today. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. Salvation is good. Amen so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, I'm going to just close with a short story, and then Pastor Andre is going to come up to, to pray for us. But I want to share that during the 19th century in Ireland, there was what was known as the potato famine. And a lot of people immigrated to America. And there was this little boy who stayed away on a ship bound for America. And as they went uh, along the way, en route, they hit, the ship hit an iceberg. And what happened, everyone like ran for the lifeboats and the lifeboats were moving fast away from the ship because obviously if you've seen the Titanic, it can pull, if you're too close, it can pull everything down with you. So they got the people to get away from there as quickly as possible. One lifeboat was left. And as the captain on the last lifeboat with all the others that filled the boat were leaving, he saw this little boy coming out uh, of hiding. And he got them all to go back again so that he could take this little boy and he could put him in his place on the ship. 
the captain couldn't remain on the ship. He had to stay behind. And that is what, what I'm talking about, this great exchange that took place at the cross. And as the lifeboat was then moving away, the captain shouted these words to him, Son, never forget what has been done for you today. You know, we just had communion at the beginning of the service. And what did Pastor Andre say? Remember this as often as you take this bread and you drink this cup. That story just illustrates a picture of how the heart of God works. He would send his son in place of us going down with a ship. Amen? I trust that I have encouraged you today. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.